0: TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favourite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill and this week I'm very, very excited to have a very special guest on, someone who has not been on That Paleo Show since episode 41. He's the world's foremost authority on evolutionary basis of diet and disease. He's the author of more than 100 peer-reviewed scientific articles and abstracts and his research into the health benefits of Stone Age diets for contemporary people has appeared in all of the world's top scientific journals. He's written numerous books, including The Paleo Diet, The Paleo Diet for Athletes, The Dietary Cure for Acne, The Paleo Diet Cookbook, and also The Paleo Answer. By now, everyone who's in the Paleo world probably knows exactly who I'm talking about. So welcome to the show, Lauren Cordain. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. It's very exciting. I'm very excited. I can remember, Lauren, how excited I was in episode forty one when I was pretty relatively new to the podcasting. I've been doing my other show for a while, but I was very new to doing my Paleo Show podcast, and I was so excited to have you on. I, I feel a little bit calmer this time, but I'm still pretty excited to have you on, mate. It's great to have you on board. Thank you.
1: Well, well, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show, and uh, hopefully we'll get a, a good interview going, and, uh, <laughs> and your listeners uh, will enjoy.
0: Well, you know, if you're going to do a paleo podcast, you may as well go right to the top, Lauren, and, and, and you really did start off, well, I don't know about start off, but but you were one of the, the big instigators of this whole paleo movement with all of the research you've been able to do, and uh, and I think, you know, so many so many others of us have really been standing on your shoulders for that work you did initially. So, you know, for those who perhaps haven't listened to episode 41, I can't imagine why they wouldn't have done that yet, but those who haven't, or those who aren't aware of who Lauren Cordain is, can, can you give us the abridged version of, uh, of how you got to be where you are, Lauren, and doing the research that you do?
1: Well, I, I, I kind of got into this uh, early on in the uh, late 80s, and uh, uh, my mentor is a fellow by the name of Boyd Eaton, he's an MD from Atlanta, he's a radiologist, and he wrote a, a very famous paper in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1985 called Paleolithic Nutrition. So I got around to reading that, I think, in about 87 or so, and uh, I thought it was just about the best idea I'd ever heard on nutrition. Uh, It was really the first uh, evolutionary explanation for our dietary requirements. And so I read just about everything I could uh, on that original paper. It had about 80 cross-references, and uh, I got all 80. And in those days, uh, you know, the Internet didn't exist, so it took a little bit of doing to get those <laughs> references to freedom. And uh, so every one of those references, as you're well aware, in a scientific paper, medical paper, they all have cross-references. And so I compiled you know, a huge quantity of uh, these papers, maybe five or 10,000. And uh, by about 1994, I got up enough courage to go- call the guy. That had caused me all this this uh, information gathering, Boyd Eaton and, uh, so I called him on the phone and we talked for about an hour or so and uh, he paid me one of the greatest compliments of my professional career he said, well it sounds to me like you know more about this than I do and uh, one thing led to another and um, I went to Greece on a conference with him and really got to know him and we decided to start writing papers together in the scientific community so my my entry into this really was as a a research scientist from a division one research institute here in, in the states and uh, and so that was my only intent ever to just continue with this in kind of the scientific realm but my wife convinced me by about the year 2000 that I should write a popular book on it and so I completed that popular book in 2002, and that was called The Paleo Diet. Just and, of course, you know, everybody who writes a popular book, they think that, you know, they're going to be a bestseller instantly. And, uh, of course, it wasn't because the world wasn't quite ready for it. So it just kind of plugged along until about 2007 or eight or somewhere in there, and then it just absolutely took off like a rocket and went viral. Um all over the world and uh, we had a small website way back in 2002 and the website went from you know maybe getting 5,000 visitors a month to over a million in a month and uh and so kind of the rest is history the the rest of the world picked up on it and there were a ton of copycat books that came out and um, you know, and then everybody got interested, including scientists from around the world. And one of the amazing parts to me is that some of the ideas that Boyd and I had talked about way back in the 90s uh, are now being tested uh, scientifically. And so that's really exciting news is that other young scientists from around the world are testing these ideas and uh, contrasting them to other diets like the Mediterranean diet and, and others that are thought to be helpful.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's the fascinating thing about what you do, Lauren, is it, it's so uh, ingrained in the research, you know, so you're not just, you know, putting out there a philosophy that makes sense to you, uh, which, you know, which is kind of where I come from a lot of the time, where it's, you know, it's more of a philosophy than a science to me. It just makes sense. Uh, but it's great to have people like you who can really get in and do the nitty gritty and, and do that research and, uh, and you know, prove and disprove and, and test all those different hypotheses is just fantastic. So, um, you know... You, I know you have changed uh, your approach over the years. You know, I, I remember reading originally the Paleo diet, and then you know, one of your, your follow-up book, the Paleo Answer, um, and seeing how you would changed around things like you know, lean cuts of meat, for example. Um, you know, what has changed for you over that period of time? I, I guess there's there's constantly new research and new evolution happening. Um, you know, what have been the, the changes? I guess since we maybe interviewed you last time.
1: Well, I think one of the 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 big ideas is the notion of um, lean meat and where where that came about is here in Colorado we have uh, wild game. We have elk and bison and antelope and two different types of deer and
0: and so forth. We have kangaroo, Lauren. You don't have those? I know you have kangaroo. (laughs)
1: Every time I go out there, I I love to see that. So... uh, (laughs) Kangaroo meat, uh, if you look at it very carefully, doesn't look anything like uh, uh, grain-produced beef. Totally. And so that that was kind of where my original idea came about, is that we went out to these game processing uh, outfits here in North America, and I saw the carcasses when they came in, and they don't look anything like... A feedlot cow or even a grass fed cow they're they're so leaned out there, there's virtually no fat on them. Uh, there's a little bit of fat sometimes here in North America in the fall during hunting season, but nothing like what you see on on domesticated animals. And so really uh, that kind of became the template uh, at least in two thousand and two. Uh, is that we ought to emulate the characteristics of wild game. Um, now, clearly, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, they they pretty much ate the entire carcass, and uh, they just didn't eat muscle meat. They ate fattier parts of the carcass, including marrow, um, brains, and fat found in, in the organs. But even still, those the, the fat content... Of a wild animal, even if you do selective butchering, uh, absolutely doesn't. Uh, uh, you can't get anywhere near um, the high fat content. So that got me thinking. That was about 2002, and we have built mathematical models um, on the various nutrients that you can get from wild animals and wild plants. And what we found was that. Uh, The saturated fat content from um, wild animals uh, was considerably higher than the recommendations made by government agencies. They recommend that we limit um, our saturated fat to 10% of total calories, whereas what we were finding with our mathematical simulations was that it was almost impossible to get that low. Uh, if you were eating wild animals and our, our numbers, um, by about 2005, our numbers showed that, uh, the saturated fat content was more like, uh, 13 to 18%, which is, uh, you know, roughly 50 to a hundred percent more than governmental recommendations. And so that was 2005. And we published that in a, a paper in a, a book and, um, so that really became my official position, but uh, the rest of the world didn't realize it, and so I was kind of drawn <clears throat> to the plate on this by the <laughs> the group that was saying that uh, the paleo diet, uh, it w- with Cordain's recommendation for lean meat, was wrong, and... Um, so the separate analysis actually showed that they still wild animals still have very lean meat, but they can also have paradoxically higher saturated fat content, particularly uh, in some of the organs. But you know, I don't want to get into this too much of the detail of it, but the types of saturated fats that wild animals have, there are basically four common types. Of saturated fats, and the saturated fats in wild animals uh, predominantly contain stearic acid. And stearic acid uh, has found to not raise blood cholesterol and not be atherogenic. So, uh, the answer to your question was kind of a long one and you know, a little bit circuitous, but. Uh, uh, so that's the reason why uh, my position has changed somewhat, um, is that uh, in the context of a of a contemporary paleo diet where you get plenty of fruits and vegetables and non-processed foods and low sugar amounts, um, it seems that uh, saturated fats uh, really don't have much of, of an effect on atherosclerosis or cardiovascular disease and in the scientific community the way we kind of ferret that out is by looking at what are referred to as meta-analyses and in about 2009 and 2010 the very first extensive meta-analyses of saturated fats and even fat uh, have shown that they have uh, a little potential effect on the atherosclerotic process so um We kind of come full circle on that. And actually, my position changed as far back as 2005, which most people don't recognize. But if you go to my website, you can download those papers showing that.
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And I'm glad you answered that because it is one of those misconceptions that's out there. And, you know, sometimes there is a bit of a, you know, tit for tat online or or even in the, you know, the paleo community about what everyone's different recommendations are and what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, I think we need to sort of move past that and look at this, you know, evolutionary framework as what it is and, and realize that it can be, you know, modified and that, you know, that good scientists, what they do is when they learn new information, they change. You know, they they don't stick to their old theories. So I think it's important for people to understand that you have done that and you did that actually a long time ago, long before probably people recognized it. So, you know, it's interesting talking about, I guess, the misconceptions around paleo because I think there can be a lot of misconceptions around the whole ancestral health movement both from without it and then also sometimes from within it so i'd love to start with from from without what, what do you see as being still the biggest misconceptions for people who maybe don't know so much or are new to paleo uh, about what actually is paleo
1: well as i mentioned um you know after uh Well, when my book first came out, there were were no competitors. It was basically the only one. A fellow by the name of Ray Odette had uh, another book out. Um, And Boyd Eaton had written one, but it has been long out of press. So there really wasn't anything out there. And starting in the mid-2000s, maybe the late 2000s, more and more cookbooks and and people came out. These people weren't really scientists. And... um, they kind of fractionated on what was and wasn't paleo. And so paleo kind of has fractionated into anything you want it to be. If you, if you want to have uh, a high salt diet, you can find cookbooks that uh, endorse high salt diets. If you want to eat dairy products, you can find books that endorse that. If you want to eat chocolate chip cookies made out of, uh, almond flour and honey, you can find all of that. And so basically uh, what I think that the, the movement has fractionated into uh, is recommendations by people that are uh, really uh, not objectively based. They're more uh, based on what their own ideas are. And so we've always tried to point out, the scientific validity of anything we say. So if we say it's like this, it's because hopefully the literature says it's like this. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we can talk about meta-analyses and the consensus. And, and not, the consensus isn't always right. So that's nutrition is constantly changing. But one of the guiding lights is that uh, evolution does provide a, a template for what is helpful for us and what isn't, and so uh, people that claim that uh, dairy products are part of paleo. Uh, once again, I challenge anybody to come out here to Colorado and not only milk a wild animal, but <laughs> even a <approach> one. <laughs> you can't get close to them. So, you, you know, it, it's it's a, a virtual impossibility, and until humans um, domesticated mammals, then you you simply can't do it, and. Uh, so, end of argument.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, obviously, there's a lot of different takes on paleo now, aren't there? And, and as you said, a lot of, uh, I guess, different, you know, as you said, if you, if you want to find, you know, you can go nuts on paleo desserts, you know, you can go nuts on, you know, all sorts of different, I guess, maybe more complex, maybe for some people more interesting, more exciting recipes that you can do with paleo and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I guess in terms of, you know, what you're recommending and what you find in the research, is it really just about, sticking to the basics, you know, the, the, the meat and three veg kind of idea? Is, is that the sort of stuff that you promote as opposed to all of the different, I guess, uh, homemade but still more processed stuff that you can make in the paleo world? You know,
1: I, I, I think some of the, the more processed food, the further you get from fresh, real food, um, I think the, the more potential for problems uh, with health. But as I've always said, is I, <clears throat> my wife actually introduced this, is that we have the 85-15 rule. And what that does is it allows people to be about 85% compliant and about 15% of the time non-compliance, which might mean one to three meals per week. Uh, and so most people do quite well if they're eating a typical Western diet, they do quite well. Um By uh, being eighty five percent compliant. Some people with significant health problems or significant overweight uh, will do better by being more compliant. But I'm not saying that uh, you know, chefs shouldn't, uh, you know, work around um, trying to uh, make uh, meals that are delicious and uh, really pretty much contemporary. So, I know you guys have a, a really um, a well-known chef, Pete Evans, uh, in Australia, yes. and he's he's worked with uh, paleo diet, and he's uh, created some, you know, just wonderful uh, recipes and meals. And um, so it's it's a very easy thing to do. And most of the time, creative chefs, uh, when they're cooking for people paleo, you would never even know that it's paleo. So you pretty much can. Uh, Get just about everything except for you know pasta and (laughs) and processed foods, but uh, uh, you can make uh, all kinds of great food. And I've been down to Australia many times, and I the lamb you guys have down there is just magnificent.
0: (laughs) It is good, isn't it? I do love a good lamb chop. And I tell you what, I've had uh, I've had the pleasure of having uh, getting the chance to eat some of Pete's food because I did the Paleo Way tour with him, and uh, his food is just amazing. Like he made a special fried rice with cauliflower rice which was just out of this world. I could not believe how good it tastes. So you're right. It's definitely possible to do it, you know, with really very simple food. You know, that wasn't highly processed. That was a very simple sort of stir-fry meal that just tasted delicious. So um, now you mentioned you're 85-15, Lauren, and I reckon myself and everyone else listening to this podcast probably had the first immediate question that came into their head was, what does Lauren Cordain eat when he's not doing paleo? So when you, what, what's in the 15% for you, Lauren? What's your weakness? Um, you know, I,
1: I, I'm 65 years old and uh, I'll be 66 shortly and I don't, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Southern California, you know, there was no such thing as junk food. There was just food, but, um, I grew up on white bear bread and hot dogs and, you know, all the rest of the crap that was available in Southern California in 1950, in the 1950s. Um, but as an adult, and since I've been doing the paleo diet we, my wife and I have done it since pretty much, uh, since we were married, um, almost 25 years ago, uh, we used to laugh and say that other than the few hunter gatherers remaining on the planet we are the only people that are doing this now. Now, you know, there are millions of people, tens of millions of people that are following it. So, what are my weaknesses? Um, I I don't know if it's so much a weakness as it's um, uh, sometimes in the evenings I like uh, medjool dates. Uh, <laughs> <or> figs, <laughs> yeah, but wow. yeah. So, I mean, I I don't really have like a, a chocolate or ice cream or or candy just doesn't appeal to me at all. And the same thing is with pastries or donuts and all that. Um, uh, typical breakfast for me is uh, a couple of poached eggs and uh fresh fruit in season um, and maybe mid morning I might have uh you know a little bit of the meat or the fish that we had left over. I typically don't eat lunch and then for dinner we have um we have a a couple of big freezers in our basement and about every. Six months or so we go out here to the eastern plains in Colorado and we get uh, grass produced bison or grass produced beef and uh, we have a variety of cuts of that I like seafood when I've been down in Australia you guys just have magnificent seafood down there so uh, yeah whatever I can get my hands on uh, seafood, fresh seafood wise I will so we mix that up uh, with uh, grass produced meats if we can get it and uh, if not um, we try to get meats uh, that are uh, either wild or grass-produced, as I mentioned.
0: So um, that's great, Lauren. That, that's a really good insight into you and what you eat, and and how that applies. And I think you know many people who've been doing paleo for. I guess a longer period of time will totally relate to that. How your taste buds just change, and and your cravings for stuff that's not paleo—you know—all the things that you used to think you couldn't live without, in terms of you know whether it was biscuits or cakes or you know whatever it happened, lollies, whatever it happened to be—you um, just don't crave them anymore, and you, and you just don't care if you don't get them anymore. You're quite happy just. Being that's right. Very you know, I
1: I would much rather uh, have a bowl of fresh uh, blueberries or, or raspberries or blackberries uh, for a dessert, then I would have a, a piece of cake or a cookie or something that this stuff just doesn't appeal to me. We do, uh, I, I like, uh, a good glass of, uh, Chardonnay or, uh, red wine. And, uh, you know, we built that into our, uh, our diet so that if people want to, uh, have a little bit of wine with dinner, they can go ahead and do that or, so, you know, I think that the thing is is that uh, we don't live in a Stone Age. We live in the 21st century. And I think you have to kind of accommodate those situations uh, and times and places in a manner that you can still pretty much be paleo, but not quite there. And so I find myself when I'm traveling, giving talks, is that I, I get as, about as close as I can, but sometimes you can't.
0: <laughs> and and do you find yourself looking over your shoulder, Lauren? Like if you're eating something that's not quite paleo, do you do you worry about it, or are you totally past that? No, I don't. Uh,
1: you know, I was uh, at um, functional medicine in uh, San Francisco, and uh, you know, it's one of the largest uh, uh, kind of conferences with alternative medicine around the world. And you know, they they get two to six thousand people at their conferences, and so, you know, after I give my talks, I'm immediately recognized. Before I give my talks, it's like people know my name, but they don't necessarily recognize my face. So after the talks, everybody knows who I am. So I go down there for breakfast. a second day, and uh, I sat with a bunch of people that I really didn't know. And uh, we were at a buffet in uh, one of the larger hotels down there. And uh So the buffet had fruit, which was great. So you can eat as much fruit as you want. It has some eggs. And uh, about the only meats that were available were bacon or sausage. And so I got myself a a piece of bacon, and I put it with the the eggs and the the fruit. And the conversation went around is – everybody was saying, well, yeah, bacon is paleo, bacon is paleo. I said, no, it's really not. I said, it's a a very high salt content uh, meat. And I said, you know, in a pinch, if you don't have anything else, that's good. But bacon is not necessarily paleo because it's got such a high sodium content. And uh, I said, uh, a better choice would be a pork chop. So get yourself a a boiled pork chop and eat real fresh meat pork rather than salty bacon and so i ended up doing a blog on that you can go to my website and you can contrast a pork chop to a piece of bacon in terms of its nutrient uh, concentrations and uh, the pork chop just absolutely kills bacon on all nutrients all good nutrients (laughs) and it's much much lower on all the bad nutrients so uh I think that got the group kind of thinking is oh yeah that's that's a potential way to go is yeah. and it's just like the as you mentioned your your taste buds is bit, we all are like bacon it's kind of a greasy fatty <laughs> salty meat <laughs> and uh once you get away from eating salty foods uh i i think you uh, think that those foods like olives or bacon or anything else that uh, anchovies that are got a huge amount of salt in them you, you, they don't taste good you'd rather have the real version of them
0: yeah it's so interesting isn't it you know bacon is definitely one of my weaknesses lauren and, and it's been something that has been mulling over in my head for ages i remember um one of my co-hosts on my other podcast show the wellness guys damien christophe said to me ages ago he said bacon's not paleo and uh, And he was right, of course, I, cu- I couldn't argue with that. and the more I've thought about it since the more I've thought that that's uh that might be my next little step in the uh, paleo, I think is is giving up bacon for or at least mostly giving up bacon for other things, but I haven't quite got to what? that one yet, Lauren, because I do like bacon.
1: I think much. one of the interesting ideas is is that this I don't know how the the salt thing got into the the paleo community, and I've always said, you know, a little bit of salt's probably not bad for you, but uh, you know, recommendations to not even worry about it is not good. And, uh, some of the, the best recent science that appeared in nature and the proceedings of the national Academy and, and other uh, high impact scientific journals now show that, um, salt tends to promote inflammation and autoimmune disease. And so that really wasn't known as recently as three years ago. So you you talk about some of the new research that's being done is it's being discovered that, uh, One of the advantages uh, when you contrast paleo to Mediterranean or even the USDA food pyramid or the others is it tends to produce a lower inflammatory state. And so we know that markers of inflammation, um, IL-10, interferon gamma, TNF-alpha, some of these other cytokines, um, there's now research coming out to show that uh, Paleo tends to produce an anti-inflammatory balance of the various cytokines that uh, are involved with inflammation. And uh, inflammation, of course, drives all basically all chronic disease you can't have heart disease without inflammation you can't have cancer without inflammation you can't have autoimmune diseases without inflammation and so some of the therapeutic effects uh, of contemporary paleo diet the seem to be coming down I've... to this and I know that uh, You know, Pete Evans has taken a lot of crap from the Australian press (laughs) and he's he's been a good man because he stood up for it. He's not a scientist, uh, but he stood up for it. And as you mentioned, um, it it makes a lot of sense uh, from a philosophical perspective of, you know, what should we eat? What should any animal eat? An animal should eat the foods that are found in its natural environment, the environment under which its genome evolved and so when we start to figure out, wrap our heads around how paleo seems to operate to be therapeutic, uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. I was involved, and I know we've got to uh, quit here pretty soon, <laughs> I was involved uh, early on in some of the very first diet acne studies. And, of course, all the people involved with acne were saying, Cordain, your <laughs> diet has nothing to do with acne. <laughs> Lo and behold, Neil Mann from the University of uh, Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. He and I worked on a project, and he got a dermatologist, uh, Australian dermatologist, involved. And in 2008 or seven, uh, we were the very first people in the world to show that indeed acne caused was caused by diet through a cascade of hormonal mechanism. Fast forward to 2016, it's all the buzz in the, the dermatology world now. So. <laughs> So we're making progress there. Similarly, I wrote a paper on myopia, uh, nearsightedness and diet. It was just laughed at, and it was called the Twinkie Theory of Nearsightedness. And now it's not a Twinkie theory. Now it's being borne out in animal models. So I'm kind of proud of those developments that uh, I have been involved with um, over the years.
0: Well, it's, it's just so classic, isn't it? I mean, it's classic of how long it can take for the research that's out there to get to the mainstream. I mean, we saw that with FAT. We've seen that with so many other issues um, that, that, you know, what's being researched, you know, it can take sometimes a couple of decades to become, you know, to get into the mainstream and for people to actually understand, even amongst the practitioners, let alone the general public. You know, it takes such a long time to filter through. So the last question, because we are pretty much out of time, but I really want to ask you this one anyway – What's next in paleo, Lauren? Like what, have, what are you researching now and what has been researched that you think hasn't gotten out there yet uh, that's going to be the next big thing in terms of how we think about our ancestral health?
1: Well, as, as I mentioned, uh, autoimmune disease is a black box right now. We really don't know. We know that it's related to genetics and it's related to environment, but the environmental factors are really uh, not well understood. And so, I think that uh, what we will see is that paleo diets uh, will be used in the future to uh, counteract the, the diseases of inflammation that seem to affect uh, roughly 70% of all of us people in the West. So, cancer, heart disease, autoimmunity. You take those three in, you're talking about 75% of the mortality from all causes combined. I think that. Um, it will become mainstream despite the Australian community that's given Pete Evans a bunch of crap, <laughs> is that uh, it will eventually become mainstream and for any Australian dietitians and uh, people that don't believe this, uh, the one of the highest impact factor journals in the world, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, has now published a meta-analysis, a, sh- a small meta-analysis on uh, the paleo diet and uh, cardiovascular symptoms and symptoms for diabetes and the the data just keeps coming out seems almost on a weekly basis so for those doubting thomases from down under go on medline type in paleo and you can find these references and read them for yourself
0: yeah and it's amazing how sometimes i think you know people can hold something new and something outside of the status quo they they, they hold it to a higher level of evidence, you know, they think that it needs, you know, it, it may already have more evidence sometimes than, than what's already being, you know, being accepted as custom. Um, but, but you know, to, to change people's mind can be so tricky sometimes, even when the evidence is there, can't it?
1: It, it can be, and even for science, particularly for scientists, you know, if you've got something built into your head, that's how you learned it in graduate school, uh, it's difficult to unlearn that whole situation and the idea of saturated fats which probably many of the uh, dietitians that are listening in right now uh, they don't get it is that what really causes heart disease is inflammation inflammation drives every heart disease through every step of the way and so if you can reduce inflammation uh, saturated fats seem to have a minimal effect and so some of the the contemporary ideas is that that are just the, contemporary dietitians don't get is that whole grain cereals or refined cereals promote inflammation and so that is that news is, is kind of brand new but once again it'll take another generation uh, for people to to finally get it but your listeners that are into paleo don't have to wait that long they can do it now
0: yeah, and and I think probably if you head to some of those association websites and look at some of the sponsors and who's funding some of their research and their, you know, educational campaigns, you, you may start to see some links into the reason for that too, but we won't even go into that. Uh, Lauren, um people can find out more about you. You know, your website is paleodiet.com, which just shows how early you were into this movement because everyone would be yeah, clamoring you- for that website, right?
1: Yeah, yeah that, I could I could sell that that website for a, a healthy sum the paleodiet.com and even the title of my book. So I I got in there early on uh because that's just what I thought would be a good name for this idea that might take hold.
0: Yeah, it, it's brilliant. And so obviously your books The Paleo Diet which is fantastic. The Paleo Diet for Athletes, I got heaps out of that one. The Diet Cure for Acne, The Paleo Diet Cookbook, and the latest one, The Paleo Answer, which I think is a great one for everyone to read because it really you know, updates some of that controversy we were talking about where people get misconstrued about what you do actually think about some of those topics. So that's Paleo Answer is a great one for people to, to jump on and, and have a look at. Well, well,
1: Let me give you the two newest books. One is called The Real paleo diet cookbook the real paleo diet cookbook and if you want to get the real deal with the recipes without salt without sugar without all those refined products that the the imitators do get the real paleo diet cookbook it's a wonderful big cocktail table color photograph and all the recipes have been developed by professional uh cooks and uh People that tested, so it's just wonderful. And then the, the, the newest one after that is um, Real Paleo Fast and Easy. So, for people that want to cook and not spend a lot of time, uh, the second, the most recent book, Real Paleo Fast and Easy, is out there.
0: Beautiful. So, once again, find all those at Lauren's website, thepaleodiet.com. Um, Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on board again. It's fantastic to have you on our show. So exciting.
1: It's always good to speak to the Australian people. Thanks so much.
0: No worries. And hopefully we'll have you down here again soon. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com. And let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show.